but I'm going to use as an illustration at the end. Would that be okay? It fit just wonderful with a thought, and I said, well, I'll stick it at the end, but I hope nobody's mad, <laughs> especially the preacher. But it's been a blessing to be here. I do appreciate it. Before, I would be very remiss if I did not thank uh, Capital City Baptist Church uh, for supporting our uh, son, our oldest son, Jordan, and his family on the mission field of Mexico. Uh, they're in Sonora State, I believe is where it is. They're, uh, his church, uh, the town that he was in, they just about run him out. And he's been working with another brother for, oh, the last, uh, all of this year, really, and a little bit of last year. And they're working as a team, and they have a church in a little city. I can't remember the name of it. I want to say El Magorda, but I don't think that. I think that's Mexico, New Mexico. But anyway, uh, somewhere down there. But I do appreciate it very much. It's a blessing uh, to have people, uh, good people, faithful people behind missionaries and churches that you can count on and trust. And it's a, it's a blessing. It's encouragement to a, to a dad. And uh, I thought, too, I have some precious uh, holiness uh, friends in the Cincinnati area. And one of them is really a, uh, I think he's a historian of the Methodist faith. And he told one day the story about, and every time I hear the song, and can it be, this just keeps rolling through my mind. But he said Charles Wesley was riding uh, his horse, uh, heading back to wherever, and God began to give him that song. And so he spurred his horse as fast as he could to, to get to a house, get to some place. And uh, he reined that horse up in a cloud of dust. And he jumped off the back of that horse. And as he was running up to the house he, and beat on the door to get in, he was hollering, pen and ink, pen and ink, pen and ink. God had given him that song. And he wanted to get a piece of paper and pencil, pen to write the thing down. And uh, that's just, it's, every time I hear it, I said, thank God he found a house that had pen and ink. <laughs> now, you're not talking about a ballpoint pen. Back in those days, you're talking about a little thing of ink and a quill pen, probably. But uh, that always thrills my heart, uh, that song. I love that song. It's been a blessing to be here. And I thank you for the opportunities, a privilege to preach here at Capital City. Uh, I had great fellowship and friendship with uh, Brother Hank Thompson over the years and places that we were. And it's good to see his precious wife. And we've reminisced a little bit <laughs> this evening. She reminded me of something that I forgot, which happens a lot, by the way. <laughs> uh, when you're 72 years old, stuff, uh, oh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? And, but then it's a blessing to see what God has done here uh, with your present pastor and what God's doing here in this place. I'd like to have you look in your book, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Mark. The sixth chapter of the book of Mark. Jesus had just fed uh, the 5,000. And we'll pick up the story in verse number five. Mark chapter six and verse number 45. Mark six and 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. 
And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. When they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. The next verse is one of the saddest verses I believe you'll ever read in the word of God. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I've enjoyed good fellowship with uh, the family and others here. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here today and whatever has been accomplished, we obviously lay it at your feet and ask you to bless. Now the words that I've read on this page, just a few, four, five, six verses, help us to be consciously aware tonight that that is more than just ink, black ink on white paper. They're more than just letters, more than just punctuation marks, more than capital letters and small letters and it's the Word of God. We have read the very Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help, help us to garner from these few verses the thoughts that will be a help and a blessing to these folk. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wrote this sermon a few weeks ago. And I started out, I was going to call it, Why Not Just Quit? And uh, I thought about that a little bit, and I came across this interesting anecdote or story. My thought really comes from three little words in verse 48, toiling and rolling. Now, I don't, it's interesting to me, I talked about Bobby Bowden this morning, and tonight I want to talk about another football coach and college coach by the name of P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck was a star end in wide receiver in the state of Illinois as a high school kid. He went to college, was successful, played in the pros for a little bit of time. But he got out. He's now the coach of the Minnesota Golden Gophers in the Big Ten. But he started his coaching career in Ohio under coach Jim Tressel at Ohio State. He left there and went to Western Michigan, and his first year there, he was 1-11. A couple of years later, he got that team to 12-1. He went to Minnesota, and they were a terrible team. His third year there, he had an 11-win season. It was the first time in the history of the Minnesota Golden Gophers they'd ever won 11 games. But on February 9th, 2011, 
His infant son died in his arms. And he said this, and I quote, As you hold your son as he passes away, your whole life changes. And out of that tragedy became a mantra or a motto for all of his football team's sense. Row the boat. Row the boat. So I want to talk to you tonight, and I've changed my title to Just Keep Rowing. Now I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on how to keep rolling. I want you to consider initially in verse number 48, and it says, and he saw them. They didn't see him. And I don't know how far away he was. I mean, he could have seen him from anywhere on the planet if he wanted to. And it was a storm and it was dark and thunder and lightning. And you know, you read it. I read it to you just a moment ago. Now I want to say this tonight. You may not see him, but he sees you. He is aware of the situations in life that all of us face. I've been saved long enough to know this. That if God brings you to a problem, he'll bring you through a problem. It's hard to see sometimes what God's doing. It's hard to figure it out. I I know that. But it seemed like I felt his arm around my shoulder a time or two. I feel like I felt his hand in my back kind of, keep going, son, just keep going. Sometimes I've fallen and I've felt his hand reach down and lift me up. He sees us. He knows us. He's aware of us. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not, but he wants us to be successful spiritually. I didn't say financially. I didn't say professionally. But God wants us to be spiritually successful. You remember that sick guy in the Bible? It's talked about in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke, in Luke chapter 5. And he had four friends. And the place was packed. It was crowded. And these guys, they couldn't get this man to Jesus. So they ripped the roof off of the building. I have no idea. You know, the Bible does leave some things out. Like, I wonder how mad the guy that owned the house was. It would be an upsetting thing to live in a house and these four guys are up there ripping the roof off and letting this guy down. But Jesus didn't say, boy, you got a lot of faith there, son. The Bible said when he saw their faith, he recognized their faith. And that helped that man to get the deliverance and the help that he needed. And maybe, you know, Jesus, one time, Peter cut a guy's ear off. I've read it. I've read it. I read the New Testament every single month and got it all worked out so I can read it. I read it every month. And I come by that part where Peter cut that guy, Melchus was his name, I believe. He cut his ear off. I don't know if it was laying on the ground. I don't know if it was just hanging there, you know, on his shoulder and blood dripping down. And the, and the Bible said Jesus put it back on. Now, if Jesus could put an ear on, he surely could put a guy's roof on. I thought about that. (laughs) I think here he saw their fear. 
He saw their doubt and he came to their rescue. See, it's not us that makes the difference in life. It's him that makes the difference in life. And his eyes are always on us, not the circumstances. I think our, pro- our problem is our, li- our eyes are on the situation and not on the Savior. I, I recall as a kid, you know, trying to get away with stuff. I was not very successful at the house. You know, the old saying is, and I think there might be some truth to it, I never did see them. But I believe my mother had eyes in the back of her head. Amen. That was, amen. Your mother did too, huh? You hardly, you always got caught. And it's so dumb to do some of the stuff that we did, but we were caught by somebody who cared. And Jesus cares. One of my favorite songs is, Oh, yes, he cares. Jesus cares. I can't sing. I wouldn't bother you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hurt you with my singing. But I'm thankful that Jesus cares. And you may be tonight rowing in a contrary wind. You may be facing some difficulties. But God knows about it. He cares about it. I want you to contemplate something else. Uh, there in verse number 48, we'll spend most of our time there. It said... He cometh unto them. He cometh to them. He'll come to you. He comes to where we are, I think, to get us to where he wants us to be in life. I have a dear friend. and I guess you, you must get Baptist bread around here because several people talk to me about it. Or maybe they get it. Some, oh, the fellow from Australia gets it. That's right. Where are you out there somewhere? I saw you. Yeah, there was a reflection. I saw you very well back there. I love picking up people that don't have any hair. <laughs> my barber, my barber told me uh, probably about a year ago right now. He said people that keep their hair until they're 70 will not go bald. So I'm counting on, he knew a lot, he knows a lot about hair. And I'm counting on that to be the truth. I don't know if it is or not, but my barber said it. But there's a fellow that writes for the Baptist bread. He was a missionary in Australia for several couple of decades, and then he went to South Africa for a couple of decades. A great, great man, uh, Randy Pike. Randy was paralyzed uh, from the waist down when he was an 18-year-old boy. He was all-state halfback in South Carolina in high school. The last play of the last game of his senior season, he was paralyzed. He's done a mighty work for God. I love him. He's a dear, precious prayer warrior and friend. He said this, The person whose heart is in heaven is not afraid to have his feet in the grave. There's a lot of truth to that to me. The difficulties. You know, while we're in the storm, while you're in a storm, keep on serving God. While you're in a storm, keep on praying. Keep on praising him. and Keep on singing. And keep on rowing. I saw, I've been preaching in Alberta, uh, Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. Oh, in the last decade, I think I've been up to three, maybe even four times preaching uh, for a dear brother. And he sent me something, you know, you get all information on your phone. He sent me a thing. There was a pastor up there that was arrested and they drug him out of his car, him and his assistant and 
and drug them off because they had too many people in church. Uh, my brother, one of my brother's pastors in Nova Scotia for uh, the last uh, 18 months or so, you could only have five people. They just changed it uh, two Sundays ago, and he can have up to 150, and that's just about what he runs. And I think he said he had 140. He called me yesterday. I think, you know, he, he, my brother called me yesterday. I've never had anybody do this. My phone, I was sitting there, I don't know what I was doing, and uh, reading or something, and it went doink, doink. And I looked at Dad, what, doink, doink? And I, I, what in the world is going on? And so I pushed this button, and boop, up popped my brother's dumb face. <laughs> and by the way, he's gone bald. <laughs> he's younger than I am. We talked for an hour, looking at each other. I never had that happen before in my entire life. That's something to happen. You know, when you're 72 years old and stuff like that happens, it bothers you a little bit. I want you to think about this a moment. Look at verse 50. They all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them. Not only did he come to them, but he talked to them. Now, in verse 49, they thought he was a spirit. It must have been a little superstitious. They were seeing things. They might have seen a Sasquatch or something. They didn't know what they were seeing. They had started in the evening. They had been rowing. It's now the fourth watch of the night. They've been out there 10 hours plus, nearly 12 hours. A long battle with boisterous winds and billowing waves and the blackness of the night. And then reverently, <laughs> there's a boogeyman. It's a spirit. But then he spoke. Not only did he speak to them, But he spoke to the winds and they were silenced. And the waves withered to foam. And the crashing white caps turned to calm seas. And the skies cleared and the moonbeams danced on a sea of glass. I don't know, that might have been a little frightening too. But he spoke to them. And he said, boy this is a good little outline. I'm not going to preach it. He said, be of good cheer. Those are words of power. They were expansive words. He said, it is I. That is words of his presence. And that was a special. He said, be not afraid. And those are words of promise to the extreme. I think he was saying to them, hey, I'm on your side. This thing's all going to work out. The trials and the turmoils and the test of our faith. We can be assured tonight that God is on our side. You say, well, I've never heard him speak in an audible voice. I never have either. But I believe he spoke to my heart. Sometimes he speaks louder than audible words sometimes. You ever have the Lord ever call you a dummy? I've had that several times. Then Jesus calmed the storm. There in verse number 51. And he got up in the boat. I like in John chapter 6 and verse 21, same story. It said, they willingly received him. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
That's an understatement. After all they had been through the night and what they had seen and thought it was an apparition, and then they willing, I tell you, I'd willingly receive him. I'm thankful that one day I willingly received him as my Savior. And sometimes in these 51 plus years that I've been a Christian, I, I, uh, I haven't looked for the exit ramp. I, I haven't thought about quitting. But I know some people have. You know, we, had, we went through COVID. We didn't get it as far as we know. Uh, we've been sick, but I don't think we had that. But the, our governor is, is not the brightest. We don't have the smartest governor. The only thing I know that's good about him, he's a Republican. But he doesn't have much more sense than the other crowd, frankly. He's a Catholic. And uh, this opening thing, when they started to shut things down, he said, now, I'm not going to tell you you can't go to church. He said, I'm a Catholic, and but I'm not going to go to Mass because I'm concerned about other people. And he really, he let churches stay open, but all of the people that I knew around, they closed up. They're so dumb. The Baptists were dumb. So they closed. So here's my wife and I, the very first Sunday. We don't have anywhere to go. I've called several friends. No, no, we're not. No, we're not having. So here's my wife and I sitting on the couch in our pajamas with a cup of coffee, and she's got one of those things that you can look at. What do you call it? iPad. So we went to three different church services. I'll just tell you right now, and I think you know this, that ain't church. That ain't church. I told my wife, I said, we're not doing this anymore. Now, the, one, the best thing about COVID, most people had enough sense just to stay home. I didn't. And we'd go riding around every day. I was home for, I, I was off about five months last year. Maybe a Sunday here. Or, that was about it. I mean, five months. And so we'd ride around. And I, and I like riding over where the rich people live. I, you know, I've seen houses like mine. I don't care a thing about that. <laughs> but we ride over. We've got real rich people called Indian Hill. I mean, the richest people in Ohio. The richest man in Ohio lives there. He's a, he's a born-again man. And we, I drive by his house a lot. On the way to the bank, I guess I should stop and ask for a loan or something. <laughs> but we driving around. I drove down this street, and I saw. I like old cemeteries. I saw an old cemetery, an old church there. And we walked through the cemetery a little bit. And then I went to the front of that building, and it talked about a man who left Virginia in 1830. And he went and uh, come up the Kanawha River, hit the Ohio River, came down to the Little Miami, came up the Little Miami, and he got off. He was a preacher. And he started a church. And he built that building in 1835. Beautiful old white church building. I walked over to the front door. It opened. I walked in. There's pews. There's a piano. There's a King James Bible up there that people could come in and read. And you'd read a page or two or whatever. And then you'd mark where there were, people could read through that old Bible. I told my wife, I said, we're coming here next Sunday to church. And we did. We went there three Sundays. Just me and her. I never got an offering. <laughs> she never came forward. <laughs> but 
we felt like we had church. I preached, read the Bible, we sang. I did get her on her knees one time. I'll take that back. Listen, I've heard all the stories of failures I want to hear in my lifetime. I'm sick of the dropouts and, and the quitters. I had a preacher call me the other day, and he's going to quit. This was six weeks ago. He's going to quit. I said, who you been talking to? He'd been talking to a guy that quit. I said, why would you talk to a quitter? Why don't you talk to some old preacher, some old saint of God that has weathered the storms and seen God come through? What a, what a crazy thing. I know lots of sad tales and loathsome sagas of saints that ain't. Life's road has a lot of twists and turns and dead ends and whys and curves and crashes. But I would say this, God deserves our best. Our undying faith in Him. Another sad Verse in the Bible, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 14, O thou of little faith. What a, what a thing to have to be said to. I preached up here. I've, I've told this. I, I, I never met. I, I was invited. Uh, it was in April. They come up here to Midland, Texas. And I think you know Brother Foreman. Maybe some of you folks do in the church. But I never met the guy. I never even heard of the guy. And they were having an old timers conference. And you had to be uh, over 70 and had preached uh, for at least 40 years. So I qualified. Thank God I was the youngest guy there. There's a bunch of old codgers there. <laughs> I felt good. It was the best I've felt in a meeting in a long time. They were all older than me. I met two wonderful fellows there I'd never even heard of. I think your pastor knows them. Maybe some of you know them. I met a man by the name of Hudson there. I think his first name's Bob, the old man. Got an oxygen tank. He got up and gave his testimony. I don't know if I ever heard a better testimony in my life. I think he said he came out of the Korean War a drunk. And just a staggering drunk. And he said one day, I, was, uh, I had a piece of cardboard. That was my house. Kind of like some of the people I've seen along the highways here. And he said, I was sleeping out under, a, sleeping a drunk off out kind of along the side of this road and it was across the street from a Baptist church. And some men were there having a prayer meeting on Saturday night and they came out and they saw me. And they came over to me and they invited me to come into the church. And he said, uh, they talked to me about the Bible and God and said, they led me to Jesus Christ. I got born again. They said, well, Bob, where are you going to go now? He said, well, my cardboard's over there. I'm going to my cardboard. And he said, they said, one of the men said, no, you're not. You're coming home with me. He said he took him home. He got a, had a bath, put some clean clothes on, slipped between some clean white sheets, went to bed. Sunday morning got up, gave him a good breakfast. He said, I went to Sunday school. I went to morning church. I went back Sunday night. I went back Wednesday night. I went back to Thursday soul winning, and I haven't stopped since. You think he's had a few storms down the road of life? Just keep on 
keeping on. Now the rest of Coach Flex. Uh, keep on rowing. He said an interesting thing. I looked this up on the internet. He said an interesting thing. He said, and I never thought about this in my life before. He said, but when you're rowing, you know, in a rowboat, you can't see the future. You know, you can look over your shoulder maybe because you don't want to run into the bank, but you don't have to see the future. But you can look back and see where God has helped you along the way. And if God helped you in one storm, he'll help you in every storm. And if he leaves you in a storm a little bit longer than you want to be there, he's trying to teach you something. Learn it. I got another little sermon. I'll give you this. I'm not going to preach it. I thought about the ore. That's the energy that you bring. That's the effort that you make to stay faithful. You've got to determine in your heart, I am going to be faithful. And then there's the boat. That's the vessel of sacrifice. That's the church. You've got to stay in the church. I worry about the average church in America. Statistics say there's 20% of the people are never going to go back to church. I had a preacher friend. I was supposed to preach a meeting there last week. They had to cancel. They had an outbreak of COVID in Pennsylvania. And... uh, he had said, I had three families that haven't been back since COVID hit. One of the families had not missed a service unless they were gone on vacation or something for eight years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He said, the woman, the wife, she called him and said, Pastor, we are never coming back to church. We're never going to go to church again. We realize, we've come to the conclusion that the church has gotten in the way of our family life. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. You know, if you were a faithful church member, two hours Sunday morning, maybe an hour and a half Sunday night, maybe an hour and a half Wednesday night, whatever that adds up to, five, six hours, that's not a lot to give to Jesus. Stay in the boat. And then the compass, the Bible, it gives us direction. A lot of difficulties. Now I'll tell what he wants me to tell you. And I even wrote it down. Her name was Helen Bolster. She lived in Saginaw, Michigan. She was the eldest of eight children. She uh, was a teacher, a brilliant woman. She was a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in Saginaw, outside of Saginaw. And uh, God called her. She felt like God had called her to the mission field of India. She had raised her support. In those days, she only needed $75 a month. In those days, she had raised her her passage, I think, in six churches had got together and paid her way on board a ship to go to India to be a missionary. She was just about ready to go. And her mother died. And her father came to her and he said, Now, Helen, I, I really, I, I know you feel like this is what you're supposed to do, but I, I need you. I can't raise your little brothers and sisters alone. I need you. And I'm not going to argue the right and wrong and, and, I, and parental authority and all of that. But she acquiesced. 
She obeyed her father. As noble a lady that she was, she sent whatever money back to the churches that had supported her or sent the money for her passage. She sent it all back. She stayed, helped her daddy raise her little brothers and sisters. Her sister became of age. Her name was Esther. And uh, so she turned it over to her, her responsibilities, and she met a man, fell in love, and got married. They had a little boy by the name of Donald, and Donald was born. He was a crippled boy. Over his lifetime, he lost both of his legs. But her husband, with Donald as her little boy, he passed away, died young. Here she now, but with a little crippled boy. She met a man some years, her junior, and they fell in love and they were married. In the course of time, she became expectant and had a little baby boy and he lived a few weeks and died. She became expectant the second time and baby was stillborn, a little boy. She became expectant a third time with Her husband, her second husband, had a little boy, lived just a few short weeks and died. On May the 14th, 1929, twins were born. A little boy by the name of William and a little girl by the name of Winifred. Winifred was two, two and a half pounds. Just a tiny, tiny little child. Two pounds, eight ounces. William lived until July the 25th, and he died. Here's a mother and a dad now. Go to the cemetery for the fourth time. Put beneath the ground the product of their love, a little boy. A boy to carry their name on. And all they've got is this tiny little girl. She took that little girl in a cigar line, excuse me, a, a satin line cigar box. Tiny little things is going about that long. I've caught fish bigger than that. Just a tiny little thing. She took her to the front of the Par Memorial Baptist Church in Petoskey, Michigan. And she put that little girl in that satin line cigar box on the Lord's Supper table. She said, God, you've taken my husband. You've given me another, but you've taken four of my sons. But I'd like to give this little girl to you. These are her words. That you might make from her some folk, some children, some offspring that would serve the Lord. That little girl grew up. She married a preacher boy. September the 5th, 1948, in the same Par Memorial Baptist Church in Petoskey, Michigan. And 367 days later, I discovered America. My mom and dad. There were six of us kids. Two of them are in heaven now. My brother Steve, my kids, my little sister Mary, my kid brother Steve. There's four of us boys left. There are grandchildren, there are great-grandchildren, there are great-great-grandchildren of my mother, 40 of us. I'm not talking about the children. I'm talking about the adults, 
40 of us in full-time Christian service tonight. This preacher told me that my idiot brother is preaching at her twin sister's church tonight. I feel sorry for that church. God help, we need to have prayer. All I want to say to you tonight, I'm glad Helen Bolster kept on rowing. Glad she didn't throw in the towel and hate God, turn her back on him. But she just kept rowing. If you keep rowing, God will show up. He'll help you with your problem. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I don't think there's a story in the Bible that isn't wonderful. It's just great things about this book. It's just, it's filled with things. And I pray if there be uh, those tonight in this room that have maybe felt like turning their boat around and quitting or throwing in the towel or putting up the oars or landing at some other dock It's not where God wants them to be. I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd stir them, inspire them, strengthen them. To do what you would have them do with their lives. We're thankful for being saved. We rejoice in your grace. The altar... Pretty full. 